You've just found your survival guide for the new reality of business. From technical advances to motivation and leadership, workplace changes are happening all around us. How can CEOs, leaders, and managers accelerate talent development, reshape culture, and succeed with purpose? By seeing what's coming and making the personal and organizational choices to do better. Welcome to the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. Wow, I'm so excited to be here, Morag. We're finally at this place where we're launching our first radio show together. Who knew? Certainly when I was sitting at high school thinking, what do I want to be when I grow up? Radio show host? Well, I can now add that to the list. Yeah, you know, that's so funny that you say that because I was thinking to myself, gee, what's my next career chapter? I don't think I would have thought radio show host. Uh, (laughs) But you know what? It's a great way to learn, isn't it? Well, it is. And certainly it makes a change from when I was at high school and thinking, oh, I'll be a truck driver so I can see the world or space explorer. But I think I was just a few decades too early. But those who are going to get to go to Mars, I was working with a a space company just this week, actually. So they are right in the midst of the 21st century and the future-proof workplace as they are considering helping to get men and women to Mars. But Ah. we're here right now talking about how the future of work is changing and and how it's not tomorrow. The future of work is today. So, Linda, are you ready? Well, I'm trying to get ready. I'm trying to stay ready because, as you know, Morag, uh, part of being ready is is being a curious learner and always being willing to learn and and try new things and experiment because you're never going to know uh, what what the the future brings. And in fact, you know, when we started writing our book, was that was that it? That was a year ago. Mm-hmm. We uh, we we wrote our book, so let's let's just get our listeners to to know a little bit about us. Um, Morag has written a, a couple of books, and so have I. And we were at a, uh, a Soundview Executive uh, uh, Summary session for authors, and we ran into each other, right? Yes, we did. And I still remember that event. It was just after I'd brought out my first book, Cultivate the Power of Winning Relationships, which is all about how we connect at work and the importance of nurturing our network of professional contacts, not romantic relationships, in order to ensure success. And I remember coming down after a day of learning from other authors and thinking, well, I know nobody. And I'm sure the listeners can relate to this, the fine art of small talk and having to walk up to strangers, people we don't know and introduce ourselves. I don't know about them, but I find it terrifying. And uh, you and I had connected at a coffee break and I saw you sitting there talking to somebody and I took a deep breath and I remember coming up to say hello. And then I found out who you were talking to and I was even more nervous, but excited at the same time. Yeah, you know, it was really funny. We we, we really uh, did click. And, uh, you know, I was there because I had just... Uh, gotten another book out, Winning with Transglobal Leadership, which actually uh, was was being published all over the world to help people think about uh, the, the five characteristics of what the new 21st century global leader is going to look like. And uh, I was sitting talking with Marshall Goldsmith, who uh, is a colleague of mine. I'm part of the Marshall Goldsmith group, coaching group. He 
For those of you that don't know, he's one of the premier executive coaches in in the world. And uh, I met him years ago when I was working at GE before he was famous. And and actually before that, when he was working at American Express. And talk about when when you were a kid. I was you know young out of school, and I'm looking up seeing this guy who has a PhD, and you know I just got out of college, and you know he's um, consulting with some of the best companies in in New York and in the world. And I said, oh, I want to be like him when I grow up. And and now here I am, you know, uh, <laughs> part of his part of his group. And uh, who knew at that time when you the three of us sat down and we were chatting? I think he was off to Saudi Arabia. In fact, I know he was. And uh, the three of us were chatting. Who knew that we would collaborate on this next book? Well, it was interesting when you reached out to me to invite me to do this. And I was thinking, well, future-proof workplace, I have opinions. But what I really enjoyed about the process with the interviews and the companies that we got to meet, diverse industries, diverse organizations from around the world. But more fascinating, the conversations that we had with some of the leaders um, who shared their insights as to where change need to happen and how we think about our careers and work, but also how we need to redefine where work happens. But before we get to that, Linda, how about you fill in some of the blanks? How did you get to where you are today then? Who are you? Oh. And what makes you special? <laughs> Great question, Morag. A lot of people would say, uh, you know, not necessarily special. But, uh, you know, I, I started out uh, in a labor union, actually, early on. Yeah. I, I started working for uh, a company and I was discriminated against as a, as a woman. Um, I was told I couldn't go into sales jobs or couldn't get any uh bigger jobs in the company. I had to learn how to type and all this stuff. And, you know, there were all men in the in the bigger, better jobs. And I'm like, wow, why is this? And uh, I happened to be in Washington, D.C. And I took two weeks vacation and I went looking for another job and I ended up in a, a labor uh, environment and, and uh, worked my way up and found out that actually what they did was total discrimination, but who knew? And uh, it, it was such a great learning experience because I learned about the adversarial nature of work. And I actually really didn't like it at all. And it caused me to go into what used to be called participative management and uh, quality of work life, joint labor management, cooperation, all of those kinds of buzzwords from back 30 years ago, which will tell you how old I am. And uh, it was a great experience. And I met people like Eric Trist and, and uh, you know, Edgar Schein. And I just was, I just I started reshaping how I thought about work. And then I started a project uh, for New York State on cooperative labor management. And I realized you couldn't make anything work if you didn't have the leaders on board. And that's where I got into the leadership side and uh, went off and got my master's degree and, and um uh, and then I went uh, into business, into finance, into um, Wall Street, et cetera, and, and really learned a lot there. I remember my third day on the job with the Wall Street firm that's now defunct, and the guy said to me, you know what we're all about. We're all about greed. We don't care about anything else. We care about greed. And I was like, whoa. Wow. Talk about wow. candid feedback there. I totally agree. And this guy was the chief administrative officer for this company. And needless to say, the company is no longer exists. But then I, I uh, went to this company because they agreed to pay for my PhD. As we know, those days are all gone. And that was such an interesting experience. And I was just learning all of these ways in which work and leadership 
really has to function and the, the role of culture in organizations, et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden, along comes GE. And uh, Jack Welsh was then the, the still the CEO of GE, and everybody wanted to work for GE then. And uh, they recruited me. They agreed to um, finish paying for my PhD. They agreed to let me finish it, and I headed up leadership development for the GE Capital arm. And what a great ride that was. It was really loads of fun. And then I uh, left there after many great years, uh, supported, actually was a human resource leader for the current CEO, John Flannery, who just got named at GE and then went to work with HP as the head of talent for the company worldwide. And that what a, what a ride that was through Mark Hurd and uh, all sorts of divestitures and all of that other kind of stuff. And then started, uh, took a sabbatical and started my own consulting business and started writing uh, about all of uh, that I've learned and, and, uh, and, and experienced and became a scholar practitioner and have never looked back. It's just been a great I love ride. it. And that's what yeah. I love about working with you, Linda, is the, the prag- pragmatic real-world experience that you bring, but also the research bent. So more on that when we come back from our break, and I'll also share a little bit of my story and how I got to sunny Colorado, which is where I'm talking to you from today. I can't wait to hear it. Stay with us. We'll be back shortly. Ever wondered if your career will last? Will your job be around in 10 years, 5 years, or even tomorrow? The Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett gives you practical tips and tools that are not only fact-based and proven to make you a better leader, but will also ensure that both your organization and career are future-proof. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you future-proof your career. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Welcome back. It's so exciting to have this inaugural show. It's just, I'm just so excited, Morag, that we're going to be able to do this together. And we are doing this together. So I'm pouring myself a glass of wine. It's it's five <laughs> o'clock on the East Coast. We're after five o'clock. So it's time. And uh, tell us, tell the, the listeners about your career and how you got to where you are today. Okay, and I promise the listeners that we will get down to the future-proof workplace soon, but we also want to let you know a little bit about who we are and the voices and accents. So I know you may be listening from across the US and around the world. Uh, I'm originally from the UK and have lived in the States and specifically Colorado for the last 12 years. And as I shared in the opening segment, once I got past wanting to be a space explorer, I was intending to be an engineer. I'm a fairly logical thinker, but actually ended up going into finance and spent 15 years in the UK, working for one of the big banks, lending millions of pounds to different companies at different stages of their life cycle. And uh, having spent hours analyzing balance sheets and profit and loss and spreadsheets and numbers, came to the realization that it doesn't matter in business how good the idea, the product or service is. If you don't get the people bit right, the people who manufacture that product, the people who deliver that service, the people who need to collaborate to deliver the results, the what. If you don't focus on how business gets done, then you don't have a successful business. And so that was one of my first pivots from engineer to finance and from finance to leadership and executive development. And spent seven and a half years working for a global telecom company originally in the UK, but now here in Colorado. And for the last 12 years, I've had my own business.
business, consulting with companies and industries around the world. So at last count, not as grand a number, I'm sure, as you, Linda, uh, I estimate I've worked with 4,000 leaders, 20 countries, four continents. I've had the opportunity to go to North Slope, Alaska. I don't think you can go much norther, um, flying into <laughs> Dead Horse. And then I've been down to Chile and Peru and across Europe and uh, Asia, working in Hong Kong and with clients in India and Australia, though I've never been able to go and meet those people in person. But that's another example of the future-proof workplace in action. The fact that you and I are collaborating through technology, both in recording today's show, but also in working with our clients virtually around the world. Yeah. And so that's the journey that's brought me to where I am today. It's a brilliant journey. And, and you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, Honored and uh, really thrilled that you and I were able to get together that day at the Soundview Executive Summit. And I had an, another radio show called I Lead the Leadership Connection. And so when we were at that summit, uh, we were talking with Marshall and Wiley communicated uh, with, with me to talk about um, a book. And you and I had been talking about all of the differences that we've seen between the 20th century and the 21st century and how we are absolutely in a tsunami of change. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's dizzying change for people and it's, it's faster and, and uh, more aggressive than change has felt like ever before. Now, you know, we've, always had that kind of change. It's always been around, but not with the speed. And I think people are really using, and you think people are really using, you know, 20th century tools that were built for a 1950s industrial environment in a 21st century that's really all about the digital experience and the human experience. And that's what started us down the path of this book. Do you remember that when we all flew in and we met in Charlotte and we started framing out the book, right? I do. And in fact, that's one of the questions listeners are asking. Is it easy to travel so much? Do we enjoy the travel? And if anything, it's a signal and a sign of just how much change has occurred in that industry and how it's impacting work. Because if you think about it in the 1950s, the idea of airplane travel was a luxury. Uh, you right. still had plenty of leg room. You got served your three-course dinner. You got your free champagne. And that didn't matter. The idea of cattle class no longer existed. Yet, if any of our listeners Listeners are like you and I, and I'm on a plane several times a month. And yes, I do enjoy it because I do get to see the world, but I'm not driving a truck this time. I'm sitting in an aeroplane. And whilst the comfort may be questionable, those planes are always full. And the implication that has for the workplace is that we are no longer, when we're looking at our individual careers or if we're recruiting talent, we're no longer just part of a local fish pond and talent pool. We're all now part of a global talent pool, one that sometimes requ requires us to move physically, whether that is by plane, but it does also allow us to have access through the internet, through email, through Skype, through Google Hangouts. We can all work remotely. And so that global shift is one of the key changes, one of the three key changes that Linda and I, you, we discuss in the opening chapters of our book. So right. what were the other two? Globalization is one. What were the other well, two? Well, obviously it was, uh, you know, the, the technology and the massive demographic shifts because with globalization comes this uh, incredible demographic capability because 
major global companies are moving people around the world. Uh, You have to be able to work with people in India. You have to be able to work with people in Hong Kong. You have to be able to work with people in Germany, as well as working with people in the South and the North and Alaska and all other parts uh, parts of the world. And it's that the workplace today is incredibly demographically diverse. Now, add on to that the whole immigration issue that's going on around the world. It's just happening so fast that there are very few countries today, including Japan, which are going to be and which are um, homogeneous. very different mix of people. Now, by the way, anybody uh, who, who reads our book will see that, you know, this is not new. And I really want to emphasize that because everybody wants to talk about, oh, it's a demographic shift, it's the globalization, it's the technology. Every century there's been massive new technology. Every century there have been demographic gifts, uh, shifts. How do you think people got from the Bering Straits down to the United States? Uh, wasn't the United States then. How do you think people got you know, across from Africa and and, uh, down the Silk Route and all these other people. There were always these shifts. It's that information and news didn't travel as quickly. Now it happens in an absolute nanosecond. It does. I've got some examples. I've got examples, Linda. Yeah, let's have an example. Well, let's have recent ones. So the telephone. When the telephone was first invented by Alexander Graham Bell, it took 75 years for it to become commonplace. Um, 75 years. And yet the internet, when that was first launched, about four years really to great gain traction. And I remember when it first came out, logging in and doing a search and nothing coming up because there wasn't anything in there at that time. And then Pokemon Go, I use that as an example. It looked, took less than 24 hours right. for more than a million subscribers to start playing Pokemon Go. So when we then extrapolate that to um, news stories, to fake news stories, to real news stories, the f- speed at which we can share innovation, new ideas, new ways of working is at light speed, certainly with the fiber optics. And that's the difference. It isn't about word of mouth and the speed of walking from one village to another. It's as quickly as you can hit that send button and that news can be spread. And by the way, and it can't get retracted <laughs> after that. So you got to really think about. It. But you know, your other point. I mean, we do. We travel all over the world, you and I. And you know, we just were running into all these people who were just struggling with, what do I do now in my organizations? And you know, when you think about some of these changes, I I know when the internet first first came into play, it actually was kind of boring. And now you can get on a, that airplane, and you can be thirty thousand. Uh, feet up in the air, and you can send any document you want uh, in 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 a nanosecond somewhere, and that's only in the last like five years. So it's incredible how all these things have have changed. Things that we used to dream about are now becoming a reality. It was almost a joke of. Uh, Three years ago, when I was living out in Silicon Valley, and you'd see Google, you know, running around trying to figure out maps and trying to get self-driving oh, can't cars. Imagine without it now. <laughs> yeah, you can't imagine without it. And on top of that, the whole auto industry is going to be turned upside down, yes. um, as as cars will be self-driving. There, there, it, it isn't a question of are they. They will be. It's a question of 
exactly how quick this year, so it's next interesting. year? Linda, technology is obviously a big influence. It's one of the six factors we explore in our book. Right. We've actually got two questions that have come up from listeners. One is, do you think technology is serving us? And secondly, do we feel that technology is the way to go in business? And I know from our conversations, it's a yes and or a yes, but I think yep. to overlook technology, I don't think we can run a business, whether it's a consulting business or a big multinational like GE, without technology. Um, you might be able to run it without post-it notes, but you can't run it without technology. But the and that I'm building up and the research for our book is that the other five factors that are influencing our attitude to how, where and what work is and what a career is are all around the people piece, the how business gets done. So yes, I think uh, technology, in answer to the questions from our listeners, is ubiquitous. You cannot get away from it. But we are all still craving a human connection, a personal service, a real voice at the end of the help desk phone when we call it. And that's what businesses need to understand is how do they do that and yet also benefit from the efficiencies that technology might offer. Where do you see that, Linda? I mean, in terms of purpose, for example, that's one of the defining factors of the 21st century. How is purpose different from the 20th century approach to organizing business? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think you're you're so right. I, technology is is here to stay. Uh, artificial intelligence, all of that. That that's we're not going back on on any of that ever. Um, I think the difference is though. What are the things that you need to do personally and as an organization in order to make sure that you can really leverage the technology to your best advantage? And I think, Morag, to your your point around purpose, you know, we used to talk about mission, vision, values in the 20th century. And, you know, how many of us saw all of it? You, you could walk into five different multinational or global companies and they all have the same value statements on the wall. They all have the mm-hmm. same video going on with the CEO talking about how, oh yeah, we collaborate. We're really a team, blah, 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 blah. And everybody <laughs> knew it wasn't true. And the mission statement, you know, how many mission statement um, sessions I'm embarrassed to say have I facilitated and you have too, where, uh, you know, nobody can let anything go and it's like, you know, the kitchen sink Everything's in there and all these great words you can drive a truck through. But a purpose statement is really all about the why. Why are you in business to begin with? And what's the value that you're adding to society? And by the way, that is the emotional hook. You talk about, you know, is technology a driver? But it's also that people driver, that emotional hook that gets people excited about what they're what they're doing. In the 20th century, people were like, okay, technology is going to be process improvement. It's going to drive efficiency. It's probably going to drive jobs out. Not much that's exciting about that. Now it's how do we learn about diseases quicker? Mm-hmm. How do we collaborate around the world to eradicate our purpose is to eradicate a disease so it never comes back. I had this one woman, and I just loved her story. Lisa McLeod, I, I think you probably met her, Morag. And she actually uh, wrote a book on noble selling. And, and I talk, we talk a, bit, a little bit about her in, in our own book. But she really started understanding that, you know, you can be selling pharmaceuticals or your purpose is to save people's lives. And if you're starting to look at your job 
as I'm just selling to make a quota or I'm just working to make that number or hit that net income at the end of the day or that revenue number. That's, that does nothing for your emotional state of mind. But helping somebody have the medication that they need when they need it so that they can continue to leave a produ- live a productive life is incredible. That changes your whole view and it changes your whole emotional mindset about a job. And I love, uh, and we talk about this in the book too, I love Healthcare uh, Services Corp. Walking with you, our purpose is to walk with you in sickness and health. That's, yep. that's what we're all about. And they're so, very different kind of statements. So They are very different kind of statements. And for our listeners who are thinking, okay, so what's this show going to be all about? What we're going to be doing with the guests that we're bringing in is showcasing some of these industries, some of these companies that are now solving global challenges in new ways. But we're also going to have guests on who can talk to us at an individual level because it's not just about the company. It's also how do we as individuals navigate our careers? How do we form part of that organization? organization for success. And the career of the 21st century is more of a career lattice, whereas in the 20th century, it was more of a career ladder. So, Linda, what's our take and what what are some of the insights we've learned around the difference of a career lattice versus a career ladder? Well, you know, that's really interesting, Morag. Uh, It's it's a great question. A career lattice is where you can jump in and out of uh, work you know, uh, even today, you and I have been interviewed around this uh, book and people say, well, you know, you look at a resume and somebody's jumped to different jobs and, you know, mm-hmm. obviously they're a job hopper. That's a 20th century perspective. You know, people are going to be working, then they're going to be taking some time off. They may take a step back because they want to learn something new. Yeah. Where before, our whole goal was to move up that career ladder, make more money, get that retirement button, check out uh, probably five years before you retire, and then really <laughs> do what you want end. with the rest of your life. And that's the end. And you've had five careers yourself, Marag, and you've probably got yeah. a few more coming up. So talk about that. Well, it was interesting. I was reading some research recently that says millennials and uh, millennials are also a very special part of our book. I think they get maligned far too much and far too often. But millennials will change careers or change jobs 6.4 times before the age of 30. So to your point, Linda, for those of us who've been in industry for a little longer, the 20th century mindset was that is a sign of disloyalty, flakiness and being unreliable. But the reality is in a 21st century environment, and you'll learn if you listen in next week to Kit Yarrow talking about consumerism, the 21st century mindset is craving um, distractions, craving the new, seeking to be challenged. And what I'm seeing is that millennials are strong, loyal, smart workers. But if they're not getting the challenge from the workplace they're in and the job they're in, they are much more willing to jump ship and find a new role and a new organization where they can thrive. They are not going to stay and settle. They're not going to stay and put up with, well, you've got to put in your 10-year service before you can get the next promotion. And I think that's a powerful message for how we manage our careers as individuals, but it's also a powerful message for leaders who are looking to attract, retain, and develop the talent that are going to be delivering their product and service in the future. I don't think there's... 
I, I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, the, the new generation come in, coming into the workforce, which, by the way, uh, is 45% of the workforce at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, are not going to be compliant like we were when we came in. And it's not to say that we liked it, but we were uh, much more willing uh, to 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 do things in order to get up that career lattice uh, ladder instead of dealing with the career lattice. Let's talk a little bit about leadership too, uh, Morag. Mm. Uh, you know, we definitely see a huge shift between the kind of leader that was tolerated in the in the twentieth century that. <laughs> Our research shows is simply not going to be tolerated in the 21st century. And that command and control leadership just does not work in a globally diverse, quick, uh, highly um, speed-driven world, right? Well, right. I mean, we're moving much more to a collaborative style, a servant leadership, which when I first heard that phrase felt a little bit too loose for me. But even here's some audience participation time for our listeners. I mean, just think back in your career, whether your career is a year, 10 years or 30 years like ours. Think about the leaders who have truly influenced and impacted you and helped you to get to where you are today. What is it about those people that make them immediately come to mind and stand out for you? I was doing this uh, exercise at uh, Space Engineering, actually literally with rocket scientists only yesterday. And IQ, definitely, that comes up on the list. They were smart. Um, Technical skills, yeah, they knew their stuff. They were publishing papers. They were the expert in their field. Those were table stake criteria that the participants in the program yesterday called out. But Linda, what they shared as the key differentiator for those leaders that resonated with them that were exceptional, it was all around the people skills, the servant leadership, the collaboration, coaching, feedback. Um, they had, uh, they took a risk on me. They pushed me out of my comfort zone. Um, they included me in decisions and so on. And in the 20th century, I think it's easy to say that those leaders were the exception. That's why we call them exceptional leaders. But in the 21st century, I am seeing a marked shift in organizations in how they talk about, how they train for leadership development that is focusing on the people skills. How do we connect? How do we collaborate? And don't simply rely on shout the loudest, smartest person in the room. It is all about what we can do together, not through individual efforts. Yeah. And, you know, that leads to the whole culture question. Um, You know, it's so interesting. I'm sure people saw, a lot of people saw hidden figures. And if you did things about leadership, were never not published and not believed in. They were. But to your point, Morag, people didn't exercise them because they were still believing that uh, you know, people, the belief was that people were lazy. If you didn't control them, they actually wouldn't work. Uh, you know, you really had to have them clock in and you had to have performance management because, you know, they needed to know what, know what they were doing wrong and you had to watch them. All of those old kind of ideas. But, you know, in Hidden Figures, there was this one comment which just always struck me. And and the, the, the head of NASA turned around uh, with these black women who were, um, doing the numbers and they were the human computers there and turned around and said to their boss of this one particular woman, your job is to help her do her job. 
That's uh, your job. It's yep. her job to help you do your job. And it was a really, and I think that's the pivotal moment that really great leaders in the 21st century understand that they don't put down other people. They don't belittle other people. It's not all about them. It's not all about making them look great, but it's them all about the people that work with them and who are flexible enough to work with different pods of people no matter where they are. So, Linda, it's a great thought. And we've actually had a question from the audience around, do we think, do we believe that people show enough gratitude to those who've helped them along the way? And so we'll answer that question when we come back from this break. We all know that leaders who build talent, care about their people and create healthy organizations are the people that others want to work for and with. Raise your own bar and future-proof your organization with the Future-Proof Workplace. Whether you're a CEO, manager, or just trying to survive the chaos, the Future Proof Workplace is your wake-up call. Because, let's face it, the future is now. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you start future-proofing your organization. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Before we went back to we went to break, we had that question that came in from one of our listeners asking yeah. whether or not we show enough gratitude to those who've helped us along our, our way and in our careers. So what's your answer to that? And I'd love to make a challenge to our listeners, but what's your response? Do we show enough gratitude? Uh, you know, I, it's been my experience that we don't. And, uh, you know, we have a survey connected with our book, as you, of course, obviously know. And uh, those, the, it's, it's, it's interesting. We ask people questions around the uh, uh, six factors that you need to have in place and you need to be working on in order to have a successful organization. Invariably, the leadership question and the culture question are some of the lowest uh, ranking or most mixed responses where people are not seeing leaders showing enough gratitude uh, for, for people and having enough empathy for people. And they don't see a culture that is an engagement culture and an empowerment culture. They s- Many people, I get this question all the time. I'm sure you do too. How do we get rid of a toxic culture? And And quickly, you know, the first thing is, you try not to have a toxic culture because once <laughs> you have one, you're an Uber in spades or you're a GoDaddy, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's, if you don't pay attention to that, all of a sudden you've got this negative culture and to try and turn that around costs tons of money, lots of customer loyalty, and frankly can ruin your company. What do you think, Brad? Well, it's as simple as saying thank you and uh, not waiting for the mysterious they in every organization to go first. So before the break, we asked or I was asking our listeners to think about the exceptional leaders, the people who've helped them in their careers. So here's my challenge. I dare you. I double dog dare you to get in touch with those people, whether it's email, phone them, send them a LinkedIn message. And if you can't, just send a message to the universe that says, hey, I was listening to the radio show, The Future Proof Workplace. They asked me to think about an exceptional leader and you came to mind. And then tell them why. Now, they may know, 
They may not. And I guarantee that no matter what, you will make their day and you will nurture that relationship. And the stories, Linda, that you and I have been told from people who have taken that challenge have brought the proverbial tear to my eye because it's allowed people to reconnect or it's allowed people to connect in a whole different way. Gratitude is crucial. And in a future show, we'll be talking about mindfulness. We'll be talking about gratitude and helping you to understand what are the changes, the small changes you can take that will have an exponential impact to ensure that your career is future-proof. So, yeah. Linda. You know, Morag, you make such a good point. You know, gratitude does not cost money. No. Gratitude does not take a lot of time. Gratitude takes some thoughtfulness and some sheer authenticity and time just to say thank you to somebody and just to recognize that they went the extra yard. And you know what that does? I mean, I've been and worked for bosses who gave me some time when I was having a very tough, uh, which, which many people have had, um, tough personal time with family or something like that. And, you know, they looked the other way. They made sure that I could go to the hospital. I could do some of the things that I needed to do. And I've got tons of stories like this from people. And, you know, they came back to work and they were forever in gratitude uh, of, of, of the organization and the leader that made them a person in their eyes and really help them get through a difficult time. So it's kind of a two-way street, you know, it's giving gratitude by helping somebody when they really need the help. And it's also by giving gratitude and thanking somebody from what you may have learned from them. And that, to your point, is what builds the relationship at the end of the day. So as you look forward, Linda, to the upcoming shows, what's the the one thing right now that you're most excited to share with our listeners when it comes to the future-proof workplace or future-proofing your career? Well, I think there's actually two things, Morag. I think it's really <laughs> An disgusting. I know. I, you know, <laughs> people always do that. They always come back and say, well, no, really, it's three things. I'm going to tell you three things. But in my case, I'm going to tell you two things. I think the thing we really need to talk about is, uh, and we're going to be talking about, is the impact and the importance of uh, organizational culture. In my mind, that is the underpinning of, a, of, of any great company. Any great company has a fabulous culture where people want to stay and they want to work and they want to contribute to a greater purpose. Oh, I love that. The want to go to work versus need to go to work, somewhere where they can thrive versus just survive. So culture being number one, what was your... And the, and the second thing is, I think we're going to retool our whole thought process around diversity, belonging, and inclusion. Mm. If you've got a great culture, you've got a culture where people, regardless of who they are, what they believe, what color they look like, uh, what 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 country they come from, I feel like they belong. And there was a great story, and I'm going to tell it really quickly. Um, okay. There, there was a, a, somebody who was living down in Texas and uh, actually was a, a first-generation uh, immigrant in our country and very recently. And there was a lot of discussion about, um, oh, well, we can't have these people in this community and we can't have the, these other people in the community. And this individual was obviously uh, different from the other people in the community. And he thought that the community was going to ask him to leave and his family. And uh, they turned around and said, no, you belong here. You're part of us. And that's because both 
had reached out to each other and got to know each other from a family, from a values point of view, from a a purpose point of view. And it was a phenomenal human story. I think mm-hmm. that's where we really need to get when we think about differences and, and, and diversity. We've got to change the paradigm. It's no longer about uh, uh, quotas. It's no longer about you got to have more women at the top. We've got to start looking at some of the underlying issues, some of the biases that we bring to the table and our values and where, where our values are collective mm-hmm. uh, and aligned. So it's those things and more. We're broadening the conversation, but checklists and quotas don't cut it because just because I get a seat at the table, if I don't feel like I belong, which is what you mentioned earlier on, then I'm not going to stay and hang around in the boardroom to actually participate. And all the research shows that when we have diverse organizations and diverse boards, by whichever way you measure it, the results collectively and individually are so much better. It's a compelling priority for the 21st century. No question about it. No question about it. Well, Morag, you know, I, I just want to say a little bit, I mean, it was a great journey writing this book and it's been very exciting. And what I have really appreciated about it and what I'm grateful for, what I have gratitude for is you as my co-author, because I wouldn't have, I don't think we would have gotten through this book uh, if it wasn't for a us working together and collaborating together. And that's not easy to do when you're in Colorado and I'm in North Carolina and we travel as much as we do. The second thing is, I think the message of the book is powerful and important. Um, I'm really proud of it because we go to lots of conferences, you and me, and Mm -hmm. people are talking about the technology. They're talking about globalization. They're talking about demographic shifts. But we're talking about the six factors that you need to have that anybody can have in Mm -hmm. any organization, whether you're large or small, public, private, uh, to really make sure you have a solid organization going forward, right? Oh, I don't disagree. I was had the opportunity to do a mega session for the SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Management, their national conference in New Orleans. It was one of those moments where you walk in and uh, the room was set for 1,200 people, so a little intimidating. But we talked about the future-proof workplace and the changes needed within the HR industry in that case um, specifically. And this is what we'll share, the journey that not just HR, human resources need to take, but you're going to be talking at a construction firm in a couple of months. Uh, I have a couple of talks lined up with uh, IT and technology organizations that are leading the technology change. They're leading the digital transformation, but it's the people revolution that is truly going to make the difference in the 21st century. So, Linda, I know we're coming up on the end of our very first show, so I'm going to hand it back. Where do the listeners learn more about you and me? Where do they get the book? What's next? Well, I think what's next is uh, you can go to www.futureproofworkplace. That's our website for the book. You can learn more about me and Morag on it. You can get a hold of us through that. Uh, You can also go to our personal websites. Um, Mine is really simple, lindasharkey.com, and yours is Morag. Yeah, mine is SkyTeam, S-K-Y-E, team.com. So three ways to hunt us down. But please, we want the conversation. We want the dialogue. We want to hear from you. We want to hear from you. And, uh, you know, what makes our conversation great is the participation of all of you. And I think that 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 that's really the exciting part, hearing and thinking about what, what you're going to do. The focus of the show is really going to be about those six factors. Uh, that we cover in the book. 
Um, so if you haven't gotten a copy of it, get a copy of it. And the second focus of the show is really going to be to learn from each other about how we can uh, address some of these and some of the stories that people are doing in, in some of their own businesses. I'll just give you another quick one, Morag. Uh, Silicon Valley, uh, a CEO uh, just starting his new company, ramping up to 150 people. He wants to make sure he gets his culture right before it gets to an Uber culture or a uh-huh. Spark. I love that. And I love that too. I mean, that's the kind of, you know, if, if you're thinking about that, you should get a hold of us because it's really important. Because you're either going to get the culture you want with leaders like that one. You get the culture you want, the culture you need. Otherwise, you're going to get the culture you deserve, and it may come back to bite you if you're not paying attention. Absolutely. Absolutely. So next week, we have Kit Yarrow, PhD, Professor Emeritus from uh, San Francisco University, psychologist, has done some brilliant work, has two best-selling books, talking about the consumer mind and the psychological aspects of consumers and how that's changing, how we buy, how we interact, what are some of the key findings for any company that's trying to do business in the 21st century. And we're going to have a great lineup. And um, anybody who's chatted with us today, Thank you so much for engaging with us, and we hope you will listen to us every Thursday, 5 to 6. Eastern time. Eastern time. Thanks, Morag. Again, another great experience with you, for which I'm grateful. Thanks. Bye, all. This has been the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. To learn about the hosts or to get more resources on future-proofing your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Thanks for listening.